Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. See, I I think they're good enough to read heat. And and if The Rock was getting fucking booed, they probably were like, ooh, instant heat. He's the bad guy now. Yeah. So, I don't know. But he's leaning into it. Like that press conference when he turned, it was pretty fantastic. So I don't know. Made me actually watch SmackDown this week. So really? last week, whatever. Well, I mean, I fast forwarded through most of it, but because I don't even know who <laughs> half the people are anymore. Yeah, I'm like Austin Theory, Grayson Waller. I don't know who any of you are, but the other stuff. Recently interested. Austin Theory from fucking TNA? No, that was Austin Aries. Uh, well, wait. Now, if you don't know who Austin Theory is, and you can't confirm that he's not from TNA. <laughs> no, I know who he is. He He's through the NXT. Because Austin Aries did wrestle for WWE, and he did a horrible job and was let go. Oh, I don't know who either of the people are. Austin Aries Austin, been Austin Aries was part of the... Uh, TNA did the same thing WCW did. They came in and developed this badass cruiserweight division that were fucking putting on these just awesome fucking showstoppers. And then they brought in the legends who brought everything back to heavyweights and turned it into the WWE and it went to shit and they died. Specifically Hulk Hogan. Yeah, Yeah, specifically Hulk Hogan. Who didn't really understand what the X division was? And like, yeah. China, and China, and uh, uh, Kurt Angle to a lesser extent, but oh, China was like a one-off, so she barely counts. But Kurt Angle could at least hang with a lot of the cruiserweights at that point. He's uh, he can barely walk now, so yeah, that's because he tried to hang with those cruiserweights. Well, also true, and relied a lot on painkillers around that time. So yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's that story seems to have played out multiple times now. New new wrestling comes in, they go, "Hey, we don't have to do nothing but heavyweights, and we can like have a full roster of decently talented people." And everybody goes, "We love this," and they're like, "Yeah, but what if we had two guys that were real good and we just did everything with them?" <laughs> yeah. Well, TNA was getting back on their feet, and then they just fired the president. Who was the one who was responsible for resurrecting it? So, good times. Yeah. Uh, do you know what I hate though? Government projects that seem to want to destroy everything. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't even a transition. That was just a new sentence that had nothing to do with what was going on. Yeah, I know. Very well done. Honestly, uh, that's pretty good. 
Speaking speaking of wrestling, let's talk about a movie that's about a bunch of apes being taught to do a task. And sentient computers that cause problems. Um, yeah, so it's January. We're covering, is it Alan who picked these movies, I believe? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Doug would know. He's the one who put the list together. Yeah, but um, I put the list together like a long time ago now. Doesn't matter. Uh, well, Doug, do you want to start with... Uh, War games? Why? Just because I made you guys late to start the podcast because I was finishing watching it? Or... Yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Yeah, war games. Um, so the U.S. government decides to computerize their nuclear launches after realizing that I think it's 22% of the people in charge of launching nuclear weapons simply won't do it if, they, <laughs> if they're ordered you mean to. After Michael Madsen had to pull a gun on somebody? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually a pretty cool opening scene of like they're it it turns out to be a fake nuclear launch, but the people involved don't know that and the one guy just refuses to turn his key cuz he just doesn't want to kill millions upon millions of people. Um so you know, naturally they just instead of not killing millions of people, the conclusion is to um computerize it so that the computer can't turn down an order. Um yeah. meanwhile, Matthew Broderick plays an 80s version of a hacker kid. Uh-huh. who is trying to break into a video game company to play their new game before it's released and accidentally he accidentally breaks into NORAD and starts playing a war game against the computer there having no idea that it's actually <laughs> it's actually trying to it's actually trying to start a nuclear war with them um He's arrested, brought in for questioning, as you might be when you hack into NORAD systems. <laughs> um, and while he's there, he realizes that the computer is still playing and is playing for real and will actually launch a nuclear war after a certain countdown. So he has to try and track down the scientist that uh, designed the computer to convince him to come and save the day. Who everybody and believes is dead, by the way. Yeah, everyone everyone believes he's dead. In the in the it's actually pretty well done. We'll get into the details, but Matthew Broderick figures out he's alive, makes it over there, convinces him to come back. Um and basically they trick the game into playing itself in tic tac toe until it <laughs> until it overloads because it realizes there's no possible way to win. Um and sort of the AI function of it's actually kind of clever. The AI function of the computer because it learns that when it plays itself in tic-tac-toe realizes that there's such a thing as never a game that nobody will ever win is then able to apply that logic and reasoning to the war games and comes to realize that nobody will ever win a nuclear war and therefore it doesn't launch because there's no point mm-hmm. which is actually it's actually kind of an interesting take on the whole concept of nuclear war because it's not i mean it's technically correct right if both sides launch Nobody wins. Everybody's dead. So then what's the point of launching? Yeah. Which they touch on a little bit in uh, Oppenheimer last year. Yeah. And it is, it is the military idea of mutually assured destruction. As long as both sides have enough weapons to destroy the planet, neither side will ever launch them. And as much as it sounds so fucking stupid to say it, 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 we're not dead. So I guess it worked technically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, arguably the problem with it will always be it will work until it doesn't work. 
and that's the only time it doesn't work because then yeah. we're all dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, but it'll only fail the once. It'll never right. fail again after that. <laughs> yeah, I think the worry is more with these. They've mentioned. I've seen like in other things where it's not so much the worry between the United States and Russia. It's more if you get some uh, crazy, uh, shall we say, unnamed countries who end up with nuclear weapons and feel it's a righteous duty to destroy the world. That, those are the people you're worried about. Well, I think too. I think there. Yeah, I mean. I don't know, we're veering off our normal topic of discussion, which is the movie, but I think there's either the idea that two smaller countries would launch at each other who would not destroy the world, would just make it very difficult to live in for the rest of us, or that a nuclear bomb would land in the hand of someone other than a state actor, right? Yeah. That's that's the subject of the Tim Allen movie, Big Trouble, if anyone's curious what it would be like if a nuclear bomb <laughs> slipped out. I've seen that movie. I did not remember that was part of the movie. That's that's the whole plot. Anyways. Um, Um, So this is the first time watch for me. Um, I was talking with my girlfriend because it's one of those movies you tell people you haven't seen it and they're like, what? You've never seen this movie? The only thing I can think of is, well, when I was little, it was up to my parents to decide what we would rent. And I just don't think they ever rented this movie. Well, interesting thing. I have memories of the first half of this movie but having just finished watching the movie i don't think i've ever seen that second half you know like normally even a movie that i haven't seen since the 1980s once it's going i start to like i can remember it as it's happening you know but i don't have any recollection of the second half of this movie so i think i maybe saw it on tv and didn't see the end or something i don't think i've ever seen this ending so it was a first time watch for me and do you think your parents were like no this is getting too crazy. No. Okay. <laughs> That's funny though. <laughs> um, I did have a weird nostalgic feeling of sort of that, that uh, nuclear tension that was still mm-hmm. going on when we were younger. That's yeah. That's the thing about being Gen X is that you're sort of like, Oh yeah. I remember when we were kids and we thought the world might end one day. <laughs> like, no wonder we grew up so cynical. <laughs> yeah. like, like our whole, like my whole childhood, it was an assumption that one day the world would end. I don't know. Did, didn't seem far-fetched at all. And even if it wasn't something you could fully comprehend, it was in so much. No. It was like, I think we've talked about like episodes of the 80s Twilight Zone that deal with nuclear. Yep. And, you know, the day after tomorrow and shit like that. Or... The day after, not the day after tomorrow. Right. The one with Steve Gutenberg with the nuclear mm-hmm. weapons. <laughs> yeah. And like that was it was just part of day to day life back then. And it it's that weird thing where you get nostalgic for the dread that you used to feel just because yeah. it reminds you of how things were back in the day, even if it was it was very weird, especially <clears throat> when we get later after he's been arrested or whatever and he's in NORAD and they show the big war room and they have the giant screens that are showing the missiles being the quote unquote missiles that turned out they don't exist being fired from Russia. There is just that weird, like yeah. pit of your stomach thing where you're like, Oh, my body sort of remembers this. Yeah. Well, even there's that moment later on the beach where there's like just the two teenagers talking. And at that point they think they've lost 
they think they've lost, so they think nuclear war is coming. And they're just talking to each other like, like, like the girls, like, oh, I was supposed to, like my dance troupe was supposed to be on TV next week. It was going to be super exciting that we were on like local television. Now I guess that's not going to happen. Like, and, <laughs> and at one point, the Matthew Broderick character just goes, "I just wish I didn't know this. Like, I wish I was like everybody else, and the world was just going to end without me knowing it was coming. It'd be so much better." And you're like, "Oh shit!" Like, I remember having that debate as a kid, like in the schoolyard in elementary school, being like, "Hey, if nuclear war happens, do you want to know about it, or do you want it to just happen?" <laughs> Other seven-year-olds, how do you feel about this? <laughs> Like I watched He-Man yesterday. You're weird. No, but that's the thing is it wasn't weird back then to have these discussions. And that's why we all grew up the way we did. Well, even like uh, there's even a, even a more cynical part in this movie where they find the scientist. Yeah. They're trying to tell him like the world's going to end. And he's like, eh, well that happens. Yeah. And then the point where he tells them, look, I was very purposeful about where, where I picked to live. And if nuclear war starts, we'll be evaporated within like seconds so that I, I purposely picked this. So I wouldn't have to be one of the people who lives through it and has to wander through the the aftermath of everything. And I'm just yeah. like, Oh shit. It's, it's really dark. And there's like, it's, there's this really neat moment in it where he's like, he's showing them like a dinosaur video and he's drawing the comparison. He's like, look, nature will find a way. Like, these giant beasts roamed the earth for millions of years. They got wiped out. The little rodents from underneath came out, evolved. Eventually, look, now we're here. When we get wiped out, they'll start over again. He goes, probably it'll be bees. That's and it's, <laughs> it's so funny. And it's like, you know what? I bet you there's like reason for that. Like it feels real. You're like, yeah, you're right. It'd be like bees or something because they that's what might survive or cockroaches or whatever. And you're like, okay. And there's... There is a piece in that idea of like the world's not at risk. We're at risk. The world isn't. The world will still be here. <laughs> it'll it'll grow back. Eventually. Probably better off. Yeah. Um, so Noah, what do you think about this movie? Uh I hadn't seen it in a while. I've seen it several times. In I I don't know. I think on this rewatch, maybe my opinion to this movie went down a little bit for some reason. Really? I don't I don't know. I remember all the performances being better. Then on this rewatch, I was like, this is kind of campy. There's a few scenes with Matthew Broderick, who I consider a, a pretty decent actor. Yeah. Um, and I'll I'll concede that he's, you know, pretty young. So I don't hold it against him. But there's a couple scenes where he's trying to be, like, emotional and stuff. And yeah. The, oh, God, I never learned horrible. to swim. Okay, th- yeah. I remember that being a big thing. That is a speech that people talk about to this day. Is, is this great dramatic scene in the movie. And I watched it and I was like, his delivery is not good. No, he, he has some bad moments. He's really good in the first half of the film where he's playing like a lighthearted high school kid who's like, you know, goofing off in class and breaking into the computer to change his grades. And I think basically the, being Ferris Bueller. Yeah. But yeah, but he's doing it in a much more innocent way than Ferris Bueller. <laughs> and, That's true. And the whole, like, I actually found like, the kind of the flirtation between him and the girl in the first half of the movie 
it's felt so real. Like it didn't feel like 12 year olds and it didn't feel like, you know, the 30 year olds that play teenagers in slasher movies. It felt like two teenagers. It's like, you know what I mean? Like they were kind of like flirting and then they got distracted by the video game and now they were just worried about that. Like, you know what I mean? And it was just, I don't know. It all felt very real and it got me very uh, invested in the characters early on. Now later, I think Noah has a good point that some of the, when the hard drama comes, Broderick can't quite handle it yet at this point in his career. Well, even there's a scene where they're on the ferry yeah, and he's trying to tell her and she doesn't hundred percent believe him. Yeah. And he like gets mad at her, but it comes off so like horrible. Like, I'm just like, Oh, that's, I feel like they could have done another take because that, that scene was awful. I, I don't know if I'd use the word awful. I agree. It's not great. Um, I think, I think you're seeing the limitations of a young actor who just can't yeah, quite for sure. do it yet. Like I said, I don't hold it against him because he's really young and this is one of his yeah. first movies, but, but I also think like it was the eighties, frankly, less care went into filmmaking back then, <laughs> you know, like when we, when uh, we find dramatic films from this period that work, we're always surprised, you know, Ali Sheedy's pretty good, but she's not asked to do a whole lot. So no, she's, she's good, but she's not, She's, he is asked to carry a lot of this movie and he's really good at parts of it and not great at other parts of it. And that's, we're going to have the same discussion again in a few minutes. So, <laughs> Well, speaking of the, the end of the movie, so the, the whole tic-tac-toe scenario where he forces the machine to play tic-tac-toe a million times to yeah. teach it yeah. some, you know, that you can't win sometimes. And I I do remember this movie having an effect on me because of that. Because the first thing that came into my mind, probably not probably not the first time I saw it, because the first time I saw it, I was small. But like as a teenager, rewatching it, being like, oh, I do kind of get it that you that the reason why you teach kids that stupid fucking infuriating game is that eventually you're supposed to figure out that it's that that game is horseshit. Like that is the lesson of the game. You know yeah. what I mean? That you can't win, that it's just, it's an exercise in futility. And then possible to win. The other person just has to be stupid. Well, well, and, but then there's the problem of, I was like, Oh, but you know what? The other, the actual problem with the world is that there's all these motherfuckers that think that they can be good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like th- there are legitimately people who are like, yeah, I fucking win at tic-tac-toe all the time. And it's like, yeah, if you're playing against idiots who don't understand how to yeah. play the game, sure. But it's yeah, impossible you, to win if somebody knows how to play the game. If, you, if you're playing a child, you can win. But once right. the child learns how to play, you can no longer win. Like an once you're playing an average, I don't know, 10 year old, then you're right. It's a draw every time. And I, I've watched it with kids. It's fun to watch kids try to play tic-tac-toe when they've reached that age. Like, cause there usually be one kid that's like, you know, a little older than the other kid and has figured out how to win each time. And then eventually both kids get to the age where they just, it's a draw every time and you just see them getting mad and mad and mad and then they stop playing. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it, it's, it, it is really interesting. The idea that teaching that to a computer would teach the computer not to bother engaging in, certain other activities because if there's no winner there's no point yeah like it's there's so much there's so much interesting built into this film like that element of it i think just the idea that like having a sort of an ai deciding when to fire off your nuclear missiles is still something we talk about now <laughs> like and it's 
it's so interesting that back then it was like already coming up. Like this is a year before Terminator, right? So yeah, yeah. The movie does bring up like I, I and and I think people do get the take sometimes get the wrong takeaways from the scene and stuff because you know the scene at the beginning of the movie where the guy panics and doesn't fire the missile, and then the first half of the movie is the military trained to be like, yeah, this is terrible that that guy wouldn't fire the missile. And it's like, yeah, but he didn't just refuse to fire the missile. He did everything he could to make sure that it was actually what was going on and trying to get a hold of somebody in authority and sure that wasn't the proper protocol, but it was just a person trying to do the right thing and then not being willing to blindly fire the death missile that will end the world. And the whole point is that's a good thing. Like, yeah, it's a it's a good thing that some people wouldn't fucking do that. Well, and, I mean that that happened in real life during yes. the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, there was a Russian guy who fucking made the decision not to fucking fire a missile, and we're all still here because of it. Yeah, yeah it is kind of weird how the movie still. Even though it does play up that like, oh, humans are fallible. They do it in the wrong way. And then throughout like the movie, they make it more like, well, the United States and the United States Army isn't really at fault here. It's a rogue computer that's causing the problem. Everybody else is still trying to do their job to the best of their ability. And you kind of look at it and you're like, no. That's why we're in well, this problem in the first place. Yeah, I think I think there's a core message in the film, which is that you need humanity there. You need humanity to step in and stop these things from happening. That if you leave the decisions up to if, if it's if it's just a calculation, then eventually the calculation is going to say fire. But if there's a human being that has to pull the trigger, then they won't do it. And the message of the film is that if you put that power in the hands of a computer, the computer will do it. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. takes it takes the the human beings interjecting to prevent the, the computer from doing it. So, I think the intended message is not necessarily the message that some audiences will take away from it. Some audiences will see those guys refusing their orders as a negative thing. When in reality, the film is trying to tell you that, no, it's a positive thing that you don't pull the trigger, you know? Yeah. Um, I was excited because Eddie Deason's in this movie and he's in it for about 30 seconds. I've already figured that out guys. (laughs) There's so many people in the background of this movie who are like, Faces that you know, Mr. Strickland's in the movie. There's just a right. bunch of those. The bunch of those guys are in it. There's that moment where Mr. Strickland is yelling at Ferris Bueller, and I'm like, "Oh my god, my '80s heart is fluttering at this!" <laughs> like it is. He's yelling at him through the door, and he's like, "Get out here! You're just making it worse on yourself." And he's got that bald head, and he's got that deep voice, and I'm just like, "That's awesome." He's like, "Get over here, you slacker!" <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's so many faces in this movie that are just like, oh, I know who that guy is. I recognize that guy from this other thing. I don't know, I don't know any of their names, and in most cases, I can't tell you where I know them from, but I know them. Yeah. Well, even the general or whatever yeah. his rank was. Like, I never know that guy's name, but I could tell you 20 things that he's been in. Yeah. I can't tell you anything he's been in, but we'll probably do something else later on the podcast where I end up saying, oh, that's that guy, but I can't remember what else he's been in. Traders too, baby. Oh, that's a good point. That one that we also go to when uh, I see him. Northern Exposure. He was on that show. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that show. 
um, for a first time watch, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, overall, like I, it, it, performances aside, I don't have many other complaints about this movie. Yeah, it's a very eighties movie. Like I said, I I got like we had mentioned, I had the weird nostalgic anxiety in my stomach while watching it. I'm like, oh, I haven't really felt this way and since I was a little kid because of you know nuclear war. It was it was neat the way he did everything in eighties fashion too. Like there's something. MacGyverish about the way every time Matthew Broderick's in a problem, he's like, "Oh, I know how to fix this." And he like, like at one point, he's trying to get a payphone to work, and he just doesn't have a dime, but he knows how to take it apart and like connect two pieces of metal so that it sparks the phone to life without a coin. And you're like, "I don't know if that would work or not." He sure made it look like it was going to work. <laughs> All that stuff yeah. is fun to watch. He, it's, he it, defeats it, a high tech security system with a tape recorder. Yep. Yeah. So you just need the the. The tones. You don't need to actually push the buttons. It's, I don't know. The tones! The tones, so, man. Like Some of that is, I guess, like, just nostalgia for the 80s and, like, just watching, him do, watching them do 80s stuff. But, I don't know, there's something, there's something in it where it's like, this feels, like, achievable. Like, everything he does, you're like, oh, yeah. Like, like when he wants to, like, when he wants to break into the, uh, um, the, to, the, video game company to get a hold of their game all he does is set up his modem to dial every number i was, I, I was just, getting ready to say that's the thing that has aged the worst because you know you're supposed to be on matthew broderick's side because he's a charming young man but the yeah. second he sets up that fucking auto dialer i'm like fuck him i hope he dies you, oh how many people answered <laughs> their phone and got that annoying beeping sound it's like cussed at it <laughs> And he just left it going when he when he went to school that day. Because when he comes back with the girl, it's already there. It's still going. And I'm like, oh, he's just that's just been on all day. Just just calling people. But it's fun when he's like, oh, look, we found a bank and we found like this uh, online thing where he books tickets to like Paris or whatever. Yeah. Again, just using his like nerdyism to like impress a girl, which is exactly what like a 15 year old would do in those circumstances. Well, it must be nice because his family must have been pretty well off if he had his own phone line. At that yeah, point. like just just having two phone lines in the house in 1983 was a big deal, <laughs> let yeah. alone having a computer like that. Computer and a dial-up modem. Yeah. I We talked about it last week where we're like, I don't think you really had a modem. And it's like, no, but they, I do remember those things where you actually put the phone down on it <laughs> and the beeps and the tones go through. And no wonder the screens were just like that green font on the black background because you weren't sending a lot of information. <laughs> there wasn't a lot traveling through those bleeps and blurps. Yeah. But yeah, Our cell phones are like a things. billion times more powerful now. Yeah, it's so it's so funny. It's so funny when they're like that scene where they're walking through like the war room and he looks down and like these are the computers that control everything, and it's just a room full of like fucking man sized computers, and you're like, Yeah, yeah, like Literally, the phone in my hand right now is more powerful than all of that put together. <laughs> it's just, it's so funny. It's like, don't you just have an yeah. app for it? <laughs> Man. Um, so when are we going to cover War Games, The Dead Code? Is that the sequel? Which would be the direct-to-video sequel from 2008. From 2008? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't. I think we don't cover movies from after two thousand, so it's not an issue. Uh, 
The United States Department of Homeland Security is led to believe an American teen hacker playing a terrorist attack simulator game online is a real terrorist out to destroy the U.S. We won't be not a single person you've ever heard of. Are there even like pictures on IMDb, or is it just those like weird out things? But if you look through them, you're like, yeah, I don't recognize any of these people. No, they're all playing commercials. Okay, we don't need we don't need to talk about that anymore. Yeah. What else no, it's just funny. It's just funny that like MGM or I think it was MGM, whatever company was just like, what IP do we have? Well, we could yeah. do a sequel to war games. Yeah. Updated <laughs> for the, the terrorism generation. Yeah. It is. It is funny though. The idea like that in 2008, it would be terrorists making an attack. And it's like, that's one of the things about like being our age and having lived through the, fear of a nuclear holocaust and then the fear of like terrorism you're like eh, i don't know <laughs> like not no disrespect to anyone who's been directly affected by terrorism obviously it can be terrible for a number of people but that number of people is not everyone on the planet <laughs> you know yeah uh so i read apparently they sent a galaga machine and a centipede machine to matthew broderick's house so he could pr- practice playing it oh yeah so that when they shot it, he would be really good at it. Imagine that in 1983, how happy a teenager would be to get those two machines. He doesn't even play Centipede in the movie, yeah. though. He just yeah. plays Gallagher. Uh, I think he plays Centipede in the first scene. Does he? And then it's Galaga when he's at the arcade. No, that is the first scene. Yeah, I think it's just Galaga. I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter. Because he's playing it. He's definitely playing it in the opening scene of the movie. And then he like turns his game over to that kid because he's late for school. Which yeah. raises questions by why that other kid doesn't have to go to school. <laughs> right? But, That's what I was wondering. <laughs> I'm assuming that it's a staggered start time for elementary schools and high schools. Um, but then he's playing it again when Ali Sheedy comes to get him and wants her grade changed. And he takes her back to his house. And then she's like, can you change my grade? And he's like, I already did. This was just an excuse to get you back here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, for for like 15 seconds of screen time. Yeah. We're going to send you two arcade cabinets to practice. Oh, man. That was the dream back in the day was to have an arcade cabinet sure. in your house. Right. And now it's like totally doable and I don't have one because I just figured it's, it's like, yeah, that just takes up too much space. Yeah. Who would dust it? I mean, I'm not dusting it. <laughs> your, your kid would fucking hate it. <laughs> He'd be so confused. Yeah, this game sucks. All right. Well, anything else about war games? No, I, like I think it is a surprisingly good film. I think I was anticipating it being more like kid-friendly '80s than it is. It's actually a pretty good drama film. Most of the stuff really works. Um, the sort of like action stuff in the middle, where he's like running away from the FBI and stuff, is not as over the top as I anticipated it being. Considering this is a 1983 film, like he does. He does sort of escape the FBI at one point and run off. And it's like, okay, this 15-year-old is outsmarting all of these people. But nevertheless, I'm going with it. It's not it's not crazy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, overall, there's like a lot of fun moments in it too. Like when they stumble across the scientist and there's just this pterodactyl flying around. And I'm like, why is there a pterodactyl in this movie? And it's just, it's just like a like a... Hand hand operated like remote control drone thing that he's just like flying around for fun, and he swoops it at them, and, he, and he's super excited about it. And then he talks to him for like ten seconds, and he's like, "Oh, by the way, you're trespassing. Get the fuck off my land." 
It's like, I need a paleontologist. Are either of you guys paleontologists? No. Well, then you're on my land. Get off. It's like, it's a, it's a sort of weird Yoda moment where they just find this guy in exile acting all crazy. And they're like, are you okay? Because we need you to save everything. Can you come save everything? <sighs> Good times. Yeah, if, if people haven't watched it since the I would say it, it, it's much better than you anticipate a 1983 film with this subject matter being. Yeah, I was thinking, like, yeah, this, like you mentioned, this isn't really necessarily like a kid's movie, which is maybe why my parents never rented it. Um, but then I realized, like, oh, but there is, like, a kid's version of this, which is Cloak and Dagger. It's less about the world ending and more just about yeah. a kid running around with government secrets, but... Yeah, I haven't seen it. So, yeah, um, it has to do with video games and yep. spies. And no, it, it's it's again like we we this comes up a lot in our conversation. But stuff in the eighties, like the division between adult entertainment and kids entertainment, wasn't as thick. Like it's you know everybody yeah. had to watch everything on one TV, so we weren't all Matthew Broderick with our two phone lines and a computer in the house, you know. Um, <laughs> and so it was a lot of like. Yeah, like this movie is, yeah, the main characters are teenagers, but the subject matter and the drama works pretty well watching it as an adult. And it's lighthearted enough that you could watch it with kids in the room. You know, I, I think it, it it is sort of a family-friendly end-of-the-world nuclear war kind of movie. But it's amazing that they can walk that line and be able to pull it off. All right, uh, Noah, do you want to give us a rundown of Project X? Oh, sure. Uh, the United States is doing uh, experiments on chimpanzees by giving them a bunch of fucking radiation and then forcing them to fly flight simulators until they die. Also, Matthew Broderick and Helen Hunter in this movie. <laughs> you are correct. I mean, everything is, you said is correct, but it's a little oversimplified. <laughs> not, not entirely. They, there's a there's a smart one that does sign language to to humanize the the ape so that you feel even worse about the fact that they're doing something fucking terrible. Well, it worked on me. I was, I was like depressed this whole movie. I was like, but he signs for Apple, William Sadler. Let him out. It's yeah. Yeah, the, like the whole thing of like, so when Matthew Broderick is assigned to this, he's an Air Force guy. No, it didn't bother to bring that up. But when he's assigned to this thing and when he discovers that the monkey can communicate and is, is intelligent and he becomes like friends with it. And then we get the reveal that all of these monkeys are eventually going to die in this like really horrible, like expose them to nuclear radiation and see what happens kind of way. It's like it is dark, and it is kind of like oh, I don't, I don't really want that to be what's happening. I haven't seen this in so long that I had no recollection. I just kind of remembered a monkey, Matthew Broderick, and so like when when Matthew Broderick is leading that one monkey down the hallway to the testing center, and the music suddenly that's been like pretty lighthearted in the whole movie changes to like this dark ominous, and you're like, where are they going? What's gonna happen to that poor monkey man? And I knew something bad was going to happen, but I don't think I anticipated them just nuclearing with these monkeys. Yeah, I didn't remember. I saw this when I was younger, too. Remembered monkeys and flight simulators had no recollection of radiation. 
but I remember them dying and I don't like, as we're gearing up to do this episode, I'm like, I don't remember why, like you do flight simulators and does it excite them too much? And they have heart attacks or, you know, I'm just like, what the, how the fuck do these monkeys die? And then that thing comes up in radiation. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. It's so, I mean, the, the movie goes that, you know, they're basically in these flight simulators and it's, that that whole opening sequences of like where they're just teaching monkeys how to fly in these simulators it's so adorable and so fun to watch these little monkeys sitting in these little flight simulators and every now and again one like jumps out when it's not supposed to and they're like ah damn it and they get it back in there and they got the color-coded collars on so they know when they're getting really good at it and meanwhile like matthew broderick's befriending this one and he's like the scenes of him like in his like dorm room teaching himself sign language so he can go to work the next day and talk to the monkey are like mm. like Matthew Broderick is like an adorable child, even though he's like he's supposed <laughs> to be like twenty two or something in this movie. <laughs> but he still is. And it's like you just, the idea of like this kid that's teaching teaching himself sign language to befriend the monkey. And then the monkey's like as soon as they can communicate, the first thing the monkey does is want to get out and go like get an apple to give it to the girl monkey that he's got a crush on. And you're like, oh my god! Like these, the monkeys become real characters in this story. Hmm. So then, like when the time comes for them to be dying, like like the monkey is, by the way, the, the third lead of the movie. If you go to IMDb, it's like Matthew Broderick, Helen Hunt, and then the monkey. That's <laughs> yeah. His name is Willie. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's really well done where it establishes these these apes as characters, so that when they start being killed off you have genuine sympathy for them and you're kind of on Matthew Broderick and Helen Hunt's side when they decide to do their big escape and they're going to try to get Virgil out of there, which is the name of the ape played by Willie. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like this whole movie is just kind of sad from the start. Like, you see two monkeys hanging out, one of them's a baby, and then poachers show up. Yeah. And then we see Dick Miller selling monkeys to people. Yeah, but I, I can't be sad when Dick Miller's on screen, so it's fine. But then, like, Helen Hunt, and I'm like, okay, well, she's at least taking care of the monkey. And then they're like, oh, by the way, we're closing down the program. That monkey's got to go. I'm not going to lie. Like, well, Jesus Christ. Watching Helen Hunt care for that monkey was one of the most stressful parts of this movie for me. She keeps letting yeah. the monkey color with markers in a room where there's a goddamn rug. And she's not, like, putting anything down underneath it or anything. You guys aren't parents. You wouldn't understand. So I, was like, I was like, no, put, like, you put, like, the blanket down. So then if they color off the page, you can wash the blanket after never going to get that out of the rug. Hey, Noah's a stepdad. That's true. And, and she fucking wrecks shit. <laughs> well, then you would have understood. But I, I mean, I, yeah. thought, I thought the movie was extremely well done. I thought, again, um, Matthew Broderick. It's got really good animal work in it. Yeah. It, it, so. it combines the fun with the dark as well, in a way. Like, cause when, so when at the end of the movie, when Matthew Broderick has like contacted Helen Hunt and they've met up, and they're going to do like this break in and get Virgil out. Right. Mm-hmm. And they get in there, but there's already a monkey riot going on when they get there. And you have that just great, very gremlins esque moment where it's just these monkeys going wild and they've built like a tower up so they can try to break out through the skylight in the room. And Virgil's just up there whacking it with a crowbar, <laughs> whacking the skylight and it's like cracked, but it hasn't completely broken yet. And he's just hitting it. And that one ape has just stolen all the fruit and is hiding in like a closet. <laughs> surrounded by fruit just having the time of his life and they're all just running one around them, like mad one of them sitting on a bench reading a magazine <laughs> and 
And then they, you clip to that scene in the uh, like the security room, and they're watching it on the camera. And the one monkey just comes and is like looking right into the camera. <laughs> it's so fun. I was gonna say I do feel like you guys are focusing on the wrong chimpanzee because Virgil's great, and and yes, he brings a very emotional uh, monkey part to the movie, but. The real hero of this film is Goofy, the chimp that just gives people the fucking finger all the time. <laughs> You're not wrong. I was glad that, uh, I don't know, I guess spoiler, that's such a thing, that Goofy's one of the monkeys that gets out and escapes. Yeah. What about, okay, so let's talk about then, is it Greybeard, the one that has to sacrifice himself at the end? Uh, Bluebeard. Bluebeard? Man. Mm. So, like, for people... Bluebeard who- dies earlier... Goliath is the one who Goliath is sacrifices himself. Yeah. Yeah. So after the monkey riot, the monkeys have torn apart the nuclear testing area and there's about to be like a meltdown and this monkey gets locked in there and there's like a, was it, is it a fire extinguisher that's lodged in the way that's preventing the machine from closing down and stopping the spread of the nuclear active uh, radioactivity. And yeah, it's getting hotter and hotter and they're about to have a, yeah, yeah. they're about to have a meltdown and everybody's the humans are out and the room is locked down so it's like everything's sealed off properly it's safe but this one ape is still in there and they have to like convince him to go and get the fire extinguisher out of there in order to prevent a meltdown and it's like the only thing i can compare it to is like the end of star trek 2 when spock sacrifices himself because <laughs> it's that same sort of thing where they're like leaning against the glass like with their hands up against the glass like looking at each other and everyone just knows he's going to die. It's like, Oh my God. It's very emotional. Yeah. And it's so weird because it's an ape, but they, they even do a good job of like, after he gets blasted with the radiation, he sort of looks deteriorated. They went in like, they matted down his fur and stuff. So he looks like he's suffering and it's like, it's a great performance by the ape, which is a weird thing to say about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Like, there are several apes in this movie that give, quality performances right like the the comic relief one that gives everyone the finger the you know obviously virgil i don't know and i don't know if they're all played by like they they do actually give you the list of the apes by name and which ape actors played them but it's so i guess there's one ape per and they they all have they have personalities they behave differently you know it's it's interesting yeah goliath likes to smoke yep they determined, well, they determined he was like a circus monkey. Something like that, yeah. Something like that, yeah. Now, I guess we should talk about it. Okay, great performances from the monkeys. But Matthew Broderick, though. So, at the end of the movie, <laughs> at the end of the movie, when he's like the nice guy who's saving the monkeys, and he at one point steals a plane to fly some of the monkeys to safety, and he like crashes the plane in the Florida Everglades and lets the monkeys go free, and all that I well, totally he doesn't crash it, but yeah. I totally believe that Matthew Broderick would do all that for the monkeys. But earlier on, like his character arc is supposed to be at the beginning that he's kind of this badass who keeps getting in trouble, and that's why he gets assigned yeah. to this like project dealing with monkeys, and he's not allowed to fly anymore. And he like stole a plane to try to like impress a girl at the beginning of the movie and stuff. I don't buy any. It's, of that. it's like if. It's like if Ferris Bueller went off to become an Air Force pilot. Yeah, but I don't buy any of that. Like when they're like, no, I don't, no. I don't believe that this guy would steal a plane to try and get. Like it's hard to even imagine Matthew Broderick trying to get laid. Like I just, it's you know what I mean. It'd be like a twelve-year-old being like, "Yeah, I 
took off in that plane and I was using the booze to impress that girl. And then later there's a scene where he's in the bar and he's like playing poker with some of the other air force guys. And I'm like, all of these other air force guys look like air force guys that are drunk at a bar. Then Matthew Broderick just looks like a 12 year old pretending to be drunk at the bar. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's just, he just, he, it, and it, it, it's, it's too bad. Cause it would be neat if the character arc worked. Cause I can see what they're trying to do. Right. It's supposed to be this badass who's like becomes nicer because he meets Virgil and befriends him, but it, it just doesn't yeah. quite fly. Not what about, uh, what about when the, the other guy that works there tells him, Hey man, you can't get too attached to these monkeys. Yeah. And so he tries to be mean to Virgil and he can't do it. He's, he's like yelling at him and stuff. And I'm just like, no, like get, get even scale Virgil. Even outside of the movie, you know, Matthew Broderick was like yelling at this monkey and then they would be like, cut. And he'd be like, I'm sorry, buddy. Are you okay, buddy? Like, I'd be like, there's no way. There's no way he, he but could even hold this up. It worked in the context of the movie because the idea is he's trying to be mean to him and he, he's trying to force himself to do it. And he's, he's not yeah. being successful. Like the monkey isn't intimidated by him at any point in time because it knows that he's too nice of a guy. And that comes across because nobody's ever been intimidated by Matthew Broderick in the history of time. <laughs> yeah. Um, how do we feel about the monkeys flying a plane at the end? No problem with it. They trained them throughout the movie how to fly the plane. So why wouldn't they be able to? It was makes great. To- makes total sense to me. The most, ridic- then I could- the most ridiculous bit of it is that this is a military base, and if an unauthorized plane took off from a military base, the second it wasn't over a city, they would shoot that fucker down. Not in the 80s. <laughs> Especially in the 80s. <laughs> Say more likely in the 80s than today. Not, um, not in an 80s movie, <laughs> I guess is the way I should have said that. I did get worried because I couldn't remember how this movie ended ended and the monkeys take off in the plane and they're flying. And then you hear the engine start to sputter mm-hmm. and then somebody's like, Oh, looks like they're having a malfunction. And I'm just like, Oh fuck. Dude, the monkeys fucking crash and die in an airplane <laughs> crash. What a dark ending that would be. Right. It's like, we got them free. It's like we taught the monkeys to fly, but we never taught them to land. <laughs> well, there's toward toward the beginning when the he first starts teaching the like learning sign language and communicating with the monkeys. There is uh, one chimpanzee that they walk by the flight simulator, and the chimp intentionally crashes the plane into a car. And and it's like, how great would that foreshadowing be that the, <laughs> the, the chimpanzees take off at the end and then turn around and just smash into that base building or something and be like, oh, cool, you've created chimpanzee terrorists. <laughs> well, I, I will I will say that as much as they've tried to create a happy ending, it, they did release a bunch of chimpanzees into the Florida Everglades. Yeah. So there's two possible outcomes. Either A, all of those chimps get eaten by alligators. Or B, they become an invasive species and destroy the ecosystem. There's not supposed to be chimpanzees in the Everglades. It's not going to work. Like it's, we have a real life example of that happening right now, where a bunch of snakes got released into the Everglades, and they are destroying the ecosystem, and it's becoming a real problem. And that would just be chimpanzees wouldn't be a lot better. Like you know what I mean? Well, I mean they'd be a lot more adorable. Yeah, and 
I guess it would take them longer to spread population wise, but still. Yeah. See, and I was looking at it. I, I sort of agree with you because I was looking at it like, oh, when Virgil showed up, he had a stuffed alligator as a pet, as a like toy. Oh, so you thought he was just like, going to try to befriend alligators? So he's going to try to befriend alligators. They're going to eat him. <laughs> I, I did think, uh, aside from that, I thought that was a really dark moment in the movie when Virgil was in his cage with his pet alligator. Uh-huh. Because I'm like, the asshole's running this program by letting him keep the stuffed animal. They're acknowledging that this animal has a humanity, that it cares for things. That it had like it has its own stuff that it cuddles with, and you know what I mean. Yeah, like like something that can play with a doll probably shouldn't be locked in a three by three cage. I don't know. It it, it made every, it made it seem darker to me because it's like, look, we acknowledge that this thing has feelings. We just don't give a shit. <laughs> versus, yeah. you know, like versus like a lot of the the, the way they're the dialogue they're giving is more like we don't acknowledge that these things have feelings. We're not recognizing. Like when Matthew Browder tries to explain that. Virgil can speak. They they're just like, no, it's an animal. It can't speak. It don't be ridiculous. You know what I mean? Pavlov. Pavlov response. Yeah. Like, and and like I don't know, there's something about the fact that um something about the difference between like not recognizing that it has a like I don't know, for lack of a better term, a soul. Like if you think it has no soul, so you're willing to sacrifice it for this experiment versus acknowledging that it has a soul and then doing it anyway. I'm not gonna lie, this movie made me cry a couple times. Well, that's fair. Uh, it may have just been unlocking some of the some of the childlike wonder when I watched it the first time. But Jesus Christ, I was like, really? I'm crying over monkeys right now. So. I think it's a particularly well made film when it comes to that, though. Like it, yeah, it does. I like, like I said, like, I think I've, I've already said, but like it. It brings in these monkeys. They're super fun to be around. They're having fun in the flight simulators. They all have personalities. You're getting to know them. And then you're finding out, along with the Matthew Broderick character, you're finding out that, oh, by the way, when they go down this hall, they never come back. And then you find out why, and you're like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> it's, that's pretty dark. They just zapped that monkey with nuclear radiation and then told it to go on a flight simulator. And you're like, I don't, you shouldn't yeah. do that. That seems mean. And the funny thing is, like, because I watched this movie first before I watched War Games. But both movies have the same problem when it comes to the approach of the military, which is like they're not trying to they're not trying to save lives by this experiment. They're trying to ensure that they get their revenge if the Russians launch first. And I think that's a big difference, right? Like if you believe yeah. that you were gonna save millions of lives by this experiment on the monkey, you could morally justify it somehow. You could say like, look, yeah, we're sacrificing this ape and we're acknowledging that it has a personality and everything, but its sacrifice is going to lead to saving lives. But that's not the goal. The goal is if the Russians bomb first, can we, can our pilots stay alive long enough to fly to Russia to drop the bombs? (laughs) Like it's, and it's like, well, that's, that's not going to save anyone. That's not going to accomplish anything other than, again, the mutually assured destruction. Why do so? It's that it's that same thing from war games where it's like nobody wins. So you're doing these experiments. You're destroying these poor animals. To what end? To so that hopefully they'll teach you how to destroy humans. 
Yeah. Yeah. And Matthew Broderick has a pretty good point when um, he's telling all the generals or whoever that show up that like, this doesn't really prove anything because you can zap the monkeys with radiation and they'll keep flying because they don't know any better. But if like um, a human gets zapped with radiation, he's going to know he's dying. So he will not continue flying. Yeah, it's exactly the same message as war games, right? It's yeah. the whole idea that like when you're put in that situation in real life, you can't predict which humans are going to react in which way. Mm-hmm. And some of them are just not going to. So it, it makes it darker because then you're like, so this whole experiment and all these destroying these monkeys is for nothing. Like it's, you know, much. again, like, and by destroying these monkeys, like that's underplaying it. Cause when you're watching the movie, it's not destroying a monkey. It's killing a character that you've come to know. And like, you know, mm-hmm. well, and Matthew Bradrick also has the great point of, are you just establishing that they can do this? And he goes, cause you have already killed, three or four monkeys and they've been able to do it. Yeah. So, so you've already proven it. So you don't, what's the point? Yeah. And I I think, I think this movie came out at a time in our society where there was a lot of debate about animal testing in all sorts of things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember like being in elementary school in the late eighties and there would always be people coming around with like petitions that they would want you to sign for ending ending animal testing and stuff like that and i think it was like it was so common back then i think they were they were doing a lot more cosmetic testing on animals and there was no regard for the safety of animals and that debate was always kind of in the air of like okay like if it's medical testing and you can save lives then maybe you can justify it but if it and, and you know some people don't even agree with that right but it's that's always been that's always that was really like a hot topic of conversation back then. So this movie tackling it in this way is very of its time. Uh, all right. Anything else? No, I mean, it's another high recommend. I mean, yeah, I'm, I enjoyed both movies. This yeah. Week. Yeah. It's funny because it's a Matthew Broderick week. I think both movies are really good. I think the weakest part of them is Broderick's performance. <laughs> Agreed. Like in the parts of the movies, in both movies, the parts of the movies where he's asked to be Matthew Broderick, he's really good at being Matthew Broderick. But then there's like the character arc requires him to be someone else for a portion of each movie, and he he just he's he's very Matthew Broderick when he's trying to be somebody else. So, but um, yeah, both movies. I'm shocked how well they held up. Like I expected both of them to be cheesy. Neither of them really are. You know, this one has cheesy moments with the monkey flipping people off and staring into the camera and all that kind of stuff. But those are intentionally fun moments. Those aren't failures of the filmmaking. So I was I was really happy with the movies this week. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MN Drive-In Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. All right, what's everybody watching? Not shit. <laughs> Is that it? That's yeah. your full answer.
doesn't bode well. It's been it's been several weeks of me not having time to do anything other than yeah. the things I gotta get. Done. I did watch a few things, but I don't think I liked anything I watched. <laughs> so I did. I did. I wanted more Matthew Broderick in my life, and last week you told me that he's in that No Hard Feelings. Yeah. So I watched it because it was just the last Matthew Broderick movie that anybody had mentioned to me. Sure. And um, it's like, it's okay, but. What an utter failure it was to put Jennifer Lawrence in this movie. <laughs> For like multiple, first of all, just the fact that obviously the role is not written. Like, I don't know exactly how old she is, but her character is 32. And the whole plot of the movie is that this kid's parents hire her to date their son, who's 19 and like really socially awkward. And man, it feels real wrong to have a 32 year old around this socially awkward 19 year old. <laughs> it is not it's not okay like i think that i think it's pretty clear to me the role was written for her to be like 22 or 23 or something and then they were able to get this a-list actress so they just aged up the character but it's not cool i don't like it it's just it made me uncomfortable there's actually a moment in this movie where like she's at a party with him and like the dad comes home and he's like yelling like you don't belong here and she's like what do you mean he's like miss you don't belong at a high school party and i'm like that's right she does not like that is <laughs> if that was my kid i'd be so uncomfortable with him hanging out with this 32 year old woman and the fact that he called her miss made me <laughs> feel like really awkward <laughs> um i want to so, say jennifer lawrence's production company uh, is it so maybe they maybe she like bought up the rights to do it because she thought it'd be cool i don't know because then, then the other problem that exists in this movie is that it's, I don't know, like it's clearly intended to be like a hard R comedy. And then there's so many moments where she's clearly holding back, like moments where there's supposed to be nudity and there isn't because they've shot around it in this weird way. Oh, well, but then she has full frontal nudity at some point. She has, a, she has one nude scene, which is like this big fight scene on the beach where they're skinny dipping and somebody takes their clothes and she comes out of the water and beats the shit out of everybody naked, takes their clothes back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Like if you, if you have that scene in the movie, but then immediately before and immediately after, they're clearly trying not to show her naked in scenes where she would be if this were a raunchy like sex comedy. And it's like, if it wasn't an A-list actress, it would be. And it's like, like, that's fine if she doesn't want to do nudity in movies. That's totally her prerogative. But then maybe don't do raunchy sex comedies. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, she was, she was gung-ho about doing the nude scene in this. So. Yeah, the one nude scene. Yeah. But not the rest of them that are clearly supposed to be in the movie, where they're obviously trying not to show things. I don't know. So. Whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think the movie would be much better without her in it. And I just, it, overall, I, I, it's, it's, an, it's not something I would recommend people watch. And that's basically why. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I didn't mind it. So the, none of that stuff bothered me. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think the age thing probably took me out of it a lot too. And that was kind of maybe. Uh, yeah. I've read about that and it points out sort of the weird hypocrisies for some stuff where oh if it was reversed this movie would have been protested like every day (laughs) well they point out that there's the same age difference between their two characters than there was between her and bradley cooper's characters in silver linings playbook and that movie got nominated for oscars between the characters in silver linings playbook i don't remember i didn't he was like older and she was 
She was only like nineteen or twenty. I don't. I don't remember that. I haven't seen Silver Lang's playbook since it was new. Yeah, me neither. Um, so I can't comment on that. But yeah, doesn't matter. Yeah. But I mean, obviously, this movie was never going to get nominated for an Oscar. No, so. no, 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 no. So yeah. No. But like, I think if you did this, if you had a socially awkward nineteen-year-old girl with a thirty-two-year-old man hanging around hitting on her, I think you'd people would be pretty upset. Yeah. And rightfully so. Not just that. Her having her parents paying him to basically have sex with her. Yeah. Not basically like flat out saying that in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's yeah. So I don't know. Well we can put Silver Linings playlist on the list if you guys want. (laughs) We'll we'll have a deep in depth discussion about whether that's inappropriate too after we've had a chance to I remember really liking that movie, so I'm I don't remember hating it, but I don't remember much about it either. So, yeah. isn't maybe is Bradley Cooper's character in that kind of slow though? Uh, he had like a mental breakdown at some point. Okay, like just got home from the. So this is this is Jennifer movie. Lawrence's niche. She, like people who are like socially awkward and can't function in society, she tries maybe. to date them. <laughs> That's how she does it. I don't know. Um, I thought about continuing my Matthew Broderick run and watching Election because it's another one I've never seen. Yeah. And I didn't. I thought about watching that too because the, these are the two Matthew Broderick movies we talked about last week, so that's why they were fresh in my brain. One of them yeah. is easier to watch by pushing like a couple of buttons, and one of them was harder. So, yeah, I picked up the uh, Criterion version of Election last last time they had a sale, and then we got around to watching it. That's yeah. I, I've never seen that movie start to finish. I've seen parts of it. I don't know. I haven't either, but then I um, I listened to that audiobook. I think it was the best movie year ever, 1999. And they they talked it, and one of the chapters was about election. And I'm like, damn it, why like I why have I not seen that? And so I bought it because I'm like, I need to watch it. Well, and, and if I'm gonna buy it, I might as well get the Criterion version. So <laughs> might as well get poor trying to watch this movie. Yeah, well, I mean, half off sale. It's twenty bucks. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know you watch. if you ever get around to watching it. Yeah, we'll see. Um, well, a little bit more in line with what we're supposed to be talking about in this podcast. I caught up with Mandy, the Nicolas Cage film. Mm. I was interested to hear what you thought of that because people love that damn movie, and I am yeah. not a fan. No, people are wrong to like this movie. <laughs> it is. Thankfully. Here's the thing. Like this, like. The whole movie is shot in like these weird colors mm-hmm. and there's all these scenes where like weird shit is going on for no reason. And you're like, okay, but the plot of this movie is like, it's just a simple revenge movie. And it's like, okay, yeah. At an hour 20, you've got a movie here. The movie's like over two hours long. And it's like, no, I'm bored shitless watching your revenge movie. How am I bored in a revenge movie? <laughs> like, yeah, nothing happens Nicol- for the first hour. Like Nicolas Cage at one point is running around with a chainsaw in this movie. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck because you already bored me halfway to sleep before we got to that point. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I really didn't enjoy it. Um, no. And it just, it was one of those ones where I'm just like, this is pretentious art house crap. And I, you've crossed the line. Like you might as well be showing things in slow motion to me at this point. That's how bored I am. And I, I just, like there was nothing to the film plot wise. There was no characters and yet we're, st- everything's happening very slowly. And then every time, every now and again, they stop and focus on the wrong thing for a while. Then at one point, Nicholas Cage is standing there and he's like, he's, he's 
covered in blood and he's drinking like vodka and then pouring some of it on his wounds and then drinking more of it. And he's wearing like just a long sleeve t-shirt and like briefs and he's stomping his feet and he's got this weird beard. And all I kept thinking was like, how weird is it that they clearly wanted Peter Stormare for this role and couldn't get him. So they had to settle for (laughs) Nicholas Cage. (laughs) Like that's, that's all I kept thinking about. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't, like I didn't take anything positive away from the film whatsoever, to be honest. I didn't either. I decided if I ever need to watch it again, which I is doubtful, that I would just fast forward to an hour in and then watch that. Well, and is is that the one that has mac and cheese goblin in it? Yeah, cheddar goblin. Yeah, cheddar goblin. Yeah. Like it, it might be a good movie if you skipped the first hour. Yeah. Well, if I'm you thinking. just watch the last hour where the the more actiony stuff happens. Yeah. Because at least it'd be fun. From what I remember, the first hour is just showing how how much Nicolas Cage and his wife slash girlfriend love each other. <clears throat> and it's all just like these hazy shots of like her walking on the road or them laying in a field together. Yes. Then the nighttime scenes are colored red for some reason. And, you know, it's all that stuff. And I'm just like, if you have to take an hour to get all that shit across, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, like it, it's... Because if you explain the second hour to somebody, they're like, how is this not the greatest movie of all time? Yeah, the second hour is like Nicolas Cage taking revenge. But yeah. even there, it I don't know. Even that was like, it felt like something would happen and then there'd be like a pause and a break for a little while yeah. before anything else interesting would happen. But then there's like, like, if you just break it down like real quick where it's just like, oh, well, there's like these uh, biker demon Cenobites that, that come and Nicolas Cage forges like a an axe or something out of whatever. And yeah, he's just like you said, running around with a chainsaw and just fucking shit up. You're like, when he goes the greatest movie of all time, when he goes to get, pick up his weapons, like he's like, he goes and sees Bill Duke to get his weapons from him. Yeah. I'm like, you're right. When you say you just used like biker demon Cenobites to describe a movie that we both agree is boring. How the fuck do you make a movie boring (laughs) with biker demon Cenobites in it? Like, right? come on, man! Like, just try a little bit. I don't like. It's, it's weird that how much both of you dislike this movie is making me go. Hmm, maybe I watch this. <laughs> I think you should watch it because, as I've said, the first hour I got so fucking bored that when all this other stuff started happening, I did not give a shit and was on my phone the whole. Well, time. Yeah, the absolute, the absolutely, the only thing I know about this movie is Cheddar Goblin. And, and in my brain, I'm like, how could a movie with the Cheddar Goblin be bad? Yeah, I don't know. But he, but yeah. even when they get to the action-y stuff, they're still doing like the weird color schemes and everything. And I'm just like, why? Like, How about the blood is red? The people are people colored. Like, why does everything have to have a filter over it? Just make a movie. Like, yeah. again, if this was, if you took like, the core plot of this and just made a little hour and a half long exploitation movie out of it. It could be great. And you could still have Nicolas Cage in it. You wouldn't have to redesign the weird Cenobite guys. It could all still be the same. Just yeah. have somebody make it who knows what they're making and not somebody who thinks they're an artist. Cause yeah. Well, from what I understand, the, uh, the guy Panos Cosmatos, like the colors and stuff is kind of his thing. Yeah. And it seems like this was one of those movies where he got all the money together and whoever gave him the money was just like, yeah, I don't care. Do whatever you want. 
And so there was like no limitations on, you know, cutting it down to an hour and a half or doing any of that stuff. Because he had that hit a couple of years before this with that Black Rainbow movie or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. And like people love that movie. So I imagine somebody was just like, oh, people loved his last movie. I don't know what the budget for Mandy was, but I don't think it was huge. So they're probably just like, yeah, just give him whatever. Let him go do his thing and, and we'll make it probably make our money back. And they probably did, right? Like because a lot of people saw this movie when it was new. Um six million budget estimated. Yeah. And then See, that's it nothing, says like right? one point. 1.7 maybe gross worldwide, but I know it wasn't, it wasn't like a wide theatrical release. So that's not a surprise. Oh, no. Yeah. 1.7 um, is so just probably theaters and stuff, but the streaming rights would yeah. get you to 6 million. No problem. Like yeah, it's not yeah, sure. like having Nicholas Cage and it will get you $6 million from global streaming. Yeah. So and people like this is, this is like, um, the movie that kind of threw him back into the, um, sort of conversation. Yeah. Which I don't people get. Like, I mean, we like we people like us have always been Nicolas Cage fans anyway, but it seems like this movie was the one where mainstream audiences were starting to pay attention again. Yeah. And like he's fine, but again, the movie's boring as fuck and yeah. like what like, you know. And I mean, and this the guy that made it, he has good DNA for making crazy movies because his dad was a film director yeah, and he directed Rambo first blood part two Leviathan Cobra of unknown yeah. origin tombstone. Yeah, we, like, we, we've covered a bunch of his dad's stuff on the podcast and we've liked most of it. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it either. Well, it's not, I mean, just cause your dad's good at making movies doesn't automatically mean you're going to be. No, no, no. I know. And I'm not saying... to say that you even have to follow in your dad's style. Like he, you can do your own yeah. thing. It's just, don't do this. I'm just saying like, I'm, I'm back onto the Mandy thing where I'm just like, I don't get how people lost their shit over this movie. Because I, 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 I was baffled when I watched it and was like, how is this people's like, people are getting tattoos of this movie. Because I was I was anticipating like crazy Nick Cage running around doing crazy shit. And and I'm like, okay, maybe maybe after I fell asleep that happened. I don't know. But it's like I was not impressed. I was not happy. I feel like his performance in the color out of space was much better than his performance in this. I'm at I'm at the point where like I would need a break from Cage after watching this too. Mm -hmm. Like I don't because I don't know pretty upset by it i'm just glad that there's someone else that doesn't like it either because yeah, it was... i've i've been baffled and when i bring it up people are always just like what you don't like mandy and i'm like yeah i don't understand why you do i, I like it i, I kind of wish somebody here liked it so they could and maybe if a listener wants to send in some feedback and let us yeah. know that you like it and why like don't just say I like it. You guys are wrong. Tell us why you like it. Yeah, be break it down. Explain it because that's what we need. Like I don't. I don't know. Again, the cardinal rule of filmmaking is don't be boring. And this movie's boring. Mm-hmm. And uh, like there might be individual moments in it that aren't. You know, like maybe people who like this movie have only seen clips of it on YouTube or something. And, <laughs> you know, that's fine. But like. You can't have long, long stretches of your movie be uninteresting. Agreed. Um, I don't know what else did I watch. I don't know. Something that bugged me less. I don't have to be so angry all the time. 
Oh, I watched the movie Saltburn, which is a. Oh yeah. Um, I don't really like it either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. So it's like a thriller. It's about this this guy befriends this other guy at like Oxford, like sort of like a rich kid, and like one of the kids that's there on like scholarship or whatever, and just to befriend him, and he gets invited back to his kind of estate over the summer, and he lives with this like really weird, awkward family and everything goes strangely. Um, I don't know though. It, how can I put it? Like it's, a, it's, it's technically speaking a well-made film. There's a lot of like shots in it that are really well done. A lot of the weird moments are really well established and really well shot, but I just don't buy any of it. Like, I don't know how to say it. Like it's, it's like you're being weird for weird sake. And there's like, there's an implication that like the one kid is like in love with the other kid, but he also fools around with his sister. But then the scenery fools around with his sister. There's a lot of like uh, whatever the polite word for period blood is involved in the scene and it's all gross. And you're like, okay, but you're just being gross for gross sake. You're not doing anything here. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you're just, there's all that. that and then there's, this, there's a, like, I don't, there's a twist ending. I don't know the twist ending it's implied that the one kid like set this all up and set it all in motion. But first of all, no, I don't believe you did. And then second of all, like so much of what he does doesn't necessarily contribute to his goal. If his goal was like, if he, if we're to take it that this kid was like gay and in love with this other guy and wanted to be with him, then so much of his behavior goes against achieving that goal. And you're like, why would you do all that then? Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? And it's like, it's oh, it's because you wrote in these scenes that you thought were going to be weird and off-putting. And they're just weird and off-putting for the sake of being weird and off-putting. And like, even at the like at the very end of the movie, the guy has like a, a long dance number where he's naked and there's like full frontal nudity and stuff. And I'm like, okay, but why are we doing this other than you think it's controversial to show a penis in a film? Like, what is the point of this scene other than that? And I, I, I don't, it just didn't work for me. Mm. Um, I know it's like, I think it's because it's kind of hitting a mainstream audience because it's a, a prime video release and it's, so it's getting kind of pushed by them. Um, I think it's hitting a mainstream audience who just aren't used to seeing anything shocking like this in films. And so they're just like, oh my God, like, look what's happening. And they're not stopping to analyze it the way that I naturally do when I watch movies. But I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, that's shocking. But is it contributing to the plot or the character development in any way? No. So it's just, again, it's like it's like this weird combination of art house and exploitation cinema that I'm just not sure ever really works that well. So it's it's not a recommend. I wouldn't. To me, it's not a very good movie. There are some moments in it that are going to be shocking, no matter who you are. If that's if you want to watch a two hour movie for. 10 minutes of shocking footage and a twist ending that doesn't really work. Go ahead. Yeah. I, um, I have not watched it. I, uh, I was a fan of her, the director's last movie, promising young woman. I don't think I've seen that. Um, I think I wanted to at one point. Yeah. But I just, I don't know everything I've seen and heard. Like I watched the trailer. I'm like, eh. and then I've heard is basically just heard about all essentially what you're saying. And I'm like, Oh Yeah. I don't know if I need to go out of my way to watch that. So yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think it has much to offer, uh, and other than a few shocking moments that are, I don't know, 
but I guess technically they are shocking if you if that's enough. But meh. We're jaded, Doug. We don't find stuff shocking anymore. That could be part of the problem. Although speaking of being jaded, <laughs> <laughs> my kid made me sit down the other night and watch Black Panther. He's never seen it. Okay. That movie's so fucking good, and it got me so upset about like, where the MCU is at. Because I'm like, remember when like they would just put out a movie? And it was just, it had good characters and good storytelling. And I'm not even a big fan of the action in that movie. I think some people like it. It doesn't really, it's not my style. But yeah, like the villain is interesting. The characters are there. And I'm just like, they're telling an actual good story. They're introducing us to this cool world. There's these really neat visuals as we're breaking into this world. It's tied into the rest of the MCU, but still works as kind of a standalone movie. Like they used to do it so well. And it just it just reminded me of what we used to get. It was interesting enough that my seven year old it's like two and a half hours long, and my seven year old sat there and watched the whole thing up until after the last fight. And then he's like, "They're opening a new building in Oakland, eh, Dad? I might be done with this." That <laughs> was kind of he's like, he's like the little set, the sappy ending. He's like, "I don't really need to know about them opening their whatever it is, their outreach centers or whatever." <laughs> like, yeah, that, that might not might be a little over your head, but I'm like. I don't know. It just, the movie is so well made and the performances are great. The characters are well written. Like I say, an interesting villain, a villain that has a, like uh, the classic, like the villain kind of has a point, even if he's going about things the wrong way, like you can understand his motivations. He has been one of the more interesting villains that we've had in a long time. So, and again, it's like Michael B. Jordan too. Like he's, a fantastic yeah. actor, so he does a really good job with it. And yeah, I just it's it's a great movie. If if you have, I hadn't watched it in a long time, probably since I did my big rewatch back like when Endgame came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was surprised how good it is, but it got me real frustrated with like what we've had to put up with the last couple of years. Well, the only movie we're getting this year is Deadpool. Yeah, and the trailer for that just came out. Did you guys okay. watch it? Yeah. I, I'm excited. It looks it looks pretty good. I mean, it's Deadpool. It's also a teaser, so you don't get a whole lot. But no, and I don't want a whole lot, right? Like I want to no. win. I've the theory I've heard is that the plot is going to be the uh, the TVA getting Deadpool to prune like universes that have gotten out of control, and it would be him then pruning off like the X Men universe and the, yeah. the Fantastic Four universe and stuff like that, which is kind of fun. I like that if that's the plot. Um, see if that's even what happens. Do you guys think that's Dr. Doom in it? That's the real question. I don't think so. No? I don't either. They've People have shown like close-ups of the costume or whatever, and that costume looks like shit. The weird, so. the weird thing is the big eyes on the mask kind of make him look like Pyro, but I don't understand why he's green if that's Pyro. I don't know. Yeah, Pyro's in it. They showed him a, a picture of him, but yeah. or a scene of him real quick. But yeah, I don't know if that's like some weird costume he has or whatever. But yeah, I don't know. I like when I watched it the first time. I was just watching it on my phone. I'm like, shit, was that Doctor Doom? And then I watched it again on the TV. And I'm like, I still don't know. And then of course the internet is like fifty fifty on it. So yeah, I'm just kind of bummed they didn't show more of uh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Which I know they don't really have to because we all know he's in it and stuff. But, yeah. I don't know, just something. 
Although we do get a shot of uh, the patch Wolverine at one point, which has me excited. Is that the, the Wolverine that's in like the white tuxedo there? Yeah. 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 Although we see it from behind, so we don't know. We don't know who it is, really. If it's Hugh Jackman or if it's a variant of uh, Wolverine. It's, let's be honest, it could just very well be Deadpool with a wig on. <laughs> Yeah. The the two big theories of Patch Wolverine is that it's either going to be Daniel Radcliffe or Carl Urban. Yeah, but like, are those theories are just based on the the internet wants those guys in it? Like, there's no, you know what I mean? There's nothing in this trailer that gives you that. No. Well, there's been there's been rumors for a while that Carl Urban's going to be in it. See, I don't like. I don't know. I like Carl Urban, but he seems like he's too old to bring in as the new Wolverine. Well, the, I think the whole point is that he doesn't have to be the new Wolverine. This is a multiverse yeah. movie, so they just have the excuse to do whatever the That's fuck true. they want. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like the Spider-Man thing, where if, for some reason in some universes, Wolverine looks completely different than every other version of Wolverine. Sure, yeah. And then there's Doctor Strange, where they all look like Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine with that idea that sometimes the variants look the same, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. So, I'm totally on board. Um, I'm excited. I like, I don't think that trailer had any impact on me whatsoever. Like, I was, I'm as excited now as I was before. But mm-hmm. pretty much the that moment that they did that stupid little Instagram teaser where <laughs> Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman are like, "Hey, you want to be in Wolverine? Want to be in Deadpool three? Sure. You know, <laughs> that's pretty much." Yeah, all right, I'm in. And I, don't, I don't think they could really screw it up now. I I really liked um, the uh, the we're going hard R thing that they did for the trailer where oh, Deadpool yeah. walks out to the hallway and he goes, "Hold on, guys, I may be I may not be new to pegging, but Disney is." <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's going to be some jokes like that. Yeah, I'm Marvel good. Jesus. The look on the guy's face when he says, I'm Marvel Jesus. I'm like, yeah, that's the appropriate reaction. <laughs> I'm just glad that it's kind of worked out that this is the only Marvel movie this year. Because this is the only one they need. It it feels like they're using this as a little bit of a reset. And I'm in favor of that. Yeah. Like, I think it kind of works out that you, if you're going to have a reset moment, you want to have some space around it. I agree. So, uh, apparently, there's rumors they're thinking about, or one of the rumors is they might bring in, um, was it David? Is that his name? David Washington, Denzel's son that's been in a bunch of shit over the past couple of years. Okay, I don't know his first name either. I just call him Denzel's son. Uh, that they may bring him in to replace Jonathan Majors as Kang. Yeah, which I'd be fine with. He's a good actor. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. I'm, yeah, I still. Yeah. There's so many rumors. It's such a mess. So, unfortunately, that's what happens when you pin everything on one one character. Yeah, at least, at least Josh Brolin didn't turn out to be a giant piece of shit. Yet, I was going <laughs> to say, stop saying that shit out loud. Uh, yeah, rumors rumors are he might be coming back for Secret Wars, which I'm all about. I don't. I could see that. Like, the thing about doing a Secret Wars thing and with the multiverse stuff is you can bring back anyone for a brief period. Or, yeah. And they don't even have to act the same or have the same history. Like, it's... They've really opened up even, the ability to do almost anything they want. 
even better, get everybody hyped for him to come back as Thanos and he comes back as Cable. Sure. <laughs> uh, I'd be down for some more Cable. I'd have no problem with that. I haven't played a different version of Cable where he plays it like dead serious in the in the MCU. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say you should play X-Man, but that wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, so you can get Oscar Isaac to come back to play Apocalypse. So you can do an Age of Apocalypse uh, world. I think I, I don't. That. that movie was so fucking bad. It I was just so horrible. I just don't want fucking anything to do with that shit. No, I agree. And that wasn't his fault, but no, no, it's so just bad. Just yeah, the that whole X Men universe is such a mess. Like, there's <laughs> like there's still some good movies sitting in there, just floating in there, and you're like, I don't understand. How there's such good movies and such bad movies in the same yeah. cinematic universe. I still sometimes, when I need a good uh, pick me up, will turn on. Um, uh, fuck, which one? Which one was first it? class? No, it's the one set in the eighties. Um, Days of Future Past, maybe. I don't know, at least the scene where uh, Quicksilver shows up at the X Mansion and it's about to explode, and he's running through the hallways like saving everybody but there's good like comedy in there so yeah kind of enjoy that scene i don't know was that apocalypse no that might have been i don't know i'm worried now so that's the other thing is sometimes those movies had good scenes in bad movies yeah and that like that first movie that first x-men movie like if you even go back and watch it now like it's it's funny to think that that's like how big, how much hype there was around that movie at the time, considering like what's happened since. But it, like it holds up; it's pretty good, and like the casting's good. You know. God damn it! This is gonna bug me now. At least that's good. I like it when things bug so, you. Uh, did you watch anything else? Doc? Uh, no. It's... Uh, let's see. It was. So let's see, X-Men First Class was 2011, which makes me feel really old, because I still think of that as one of the newer X-Men movies. Um, God damn it, and I hit the back button back, so it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I didn't watch Jack shit. I was busy all week, so yeah. at least we had Doug to talk about shit for half an hour. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. So Doug, we're on to week three of January. Which one are you going to pick? Well, it wouldn't be January without grabbing something off of Tracy's list. <laughs> so 34 more years of podcasting and we're going to make it through that list. Um, now I did have trouble narrowing it down because I had it narrowed down to the crazy sex movies that she put on the list or the ones that she openly described as racist in her descriptions. <laughs> Decided to go with a Ken Russell week. She no. wants to hear us talk about the devils, so uh, which I've never seen. Mm. So I just teamed it up with Layer of the White Worm, which I've also never seen. Yeah, I've never seen Layer of the White Worm. Devils is very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I've heard uh, interesting things about it, but I've never actually seen it and figured, what the hell? It was one of those that it was like very, like you couldn't see it anywhere. And then suddenly it showed up on like Shudder or something. Yeah. And everybody freaked out. I'm like, oh, I don't even know what this movie is. So I watched it. And yeah, it's, I mean, Oliver Reed's in it, which is always a fun, <laughs> fun moment. Um, 
that's not what people usually talk about with it. No. They don't go, oh, Oliver Reed. No. No, but drunk Oliver Reed is a priest who sleeps with a nun. It's always yeah. uh that's nice. that's the part people talk about yep. a lot. <laughs> yep. Um yeah. And I've never seen Lair of the White Worm. I know it's supposedly very, very loosely based on a Bram Stoker story that is not Dracula. So Yeah, I don't think from what I've been told, and I have no idea if it's true or not, but it's more inspired by a Bram Stoker story yeah. than based on. Like it's not I won't be looking for a lot of influence in that film. No. But we'll see. You gonna read the story? See how nope. it matches up? Probably not. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so I know what we'll do with them. We've agreed. Yeah. Uh, you do anything for that Brom. Do anything fun for Valentine's Day, Noah? Uh I'm getting a new dining room table delivered tomorrow. <laughs> and then probably whoa, going whoa. out to eat. Slow That's down. Kind of... Slow down, Noah. Wait, you wait, you're getting a new table delivered and then going out to eat? I feel yep. like you're doing that wrong. I feel like <laughs> Well, we finally have some place to sit and eat. All right, grab your well, coat. Let's go. Well, no, because the funny thing is, I already have a real nice new dining room table in the back yeah. room, but Shar wanted a new table for the tiny uh, dining room, so this is like the second table. So it's not. I don't. I don't. It's not all that exciting. <laughs> I have a. Uh, I have a table too, like in my uh, back room that has space for table. It's not a very big one, um, and I don't even I can't even remember the last time I sat down at that table. It mainly just has shit piled on top of it. Isn't that what tables are for? Well, I'm just saying I don't. It's 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 a dining room table where I'm supposed to sit and eat. I I think I've sat ate at it once in my entire life since I've had it, and it was a free table I got from work because they were going to throw it away. So I mean, for me, I just sit on the couch and eat and watch TV. Yeah. Like a real American. Well, I, I as a parent, have to fight with my child every night to try to make him get off of his electronics and come and sit at the table without them. Yeah. So that's that's my role is to try to have that fight every night. Sometimes <laughs> I win it. Sometimes I win it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Most of the time, he sits there and refuses to eat, and then when I'm done eating and leave, then he goes and comes back with his electronics later and asks for a snack. At which point I tell him he has to eat the food before he can have a snack, and then he gets to eat the food with his electronics and technically wins. Mm. I'm sure this is all very interesting for people to hear about how uh, we eat our dinners. Well, I was going to say, my uh, my girlfriend is uh, making me go learn how to dance on Friday. Oh, God. There's some sort of event. I mean, it's not like recurring, so I only have to do it once. Um, but this place is having, it's like a post-Valentine's Day thing and you go they do like instructions on how to foxtrot or some bullshit i don't know um but there's alcohol there and then afterwards they're showing the movie top hat which is a fred astaire movie which i've never seen and don't know what's about but she was able to lure this does not sound like a fun night to me at all well she was able to lure me in with booze in a movie at least so i was like all right this is something you want to do. I will go. At least there's a movie afterwards. Oh, listen. I don't know why you're trying to convince me to stay single, but you're doing a good job. <laughs> That's all right. <sighs> yeah, that's right, bud. My cat doesn't think it sounds like very much fun either. No, the cat's not a dancer. 
No. You're not a dancer? All right. Now you're not going to talk? Let's see how it is. All right. When I start talking to the cat, it's probably time to wrap up the show. No, I disagree. We need to get the cat's thoughts on the monkey movie now. Okay. What'd you think of uh, Project X, bud? Oh, he's scratching his neck. I don't know if that's sign language for anything. Does that mean Apple? Probably is. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Thank you.